0: This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, your source to healthy living. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. Most people don't think of AIDS in the 90s as something that affected women and families. However, my guest today, Julie Lewis, was diagnosed with AIDS on August 20th, 1990, and her life was changed drastically. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. Well, thank you for having me, Claudia. I really, really enjoyed your book because it was a memoir that I could tell was written straight from the heart, and it was an amazing story of your courage, of your losses, of your wins and your gains, and how you managed to overcome uh, an insurmountable uh, feat in your life. So I'm really thankful that I had the opportunity to read your book.
1: That's great. My co-writer, I cut that book three times by a third. So (laughs) there's so much more to this story. But I, you know, we had to make it, you know, something people could get their way through. So I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. And it's amazing that 33 years later, I'm sure you still vividly remember the day that you got that phone call. Could you kind of describe that a little bit to listeners? Well.
1: To put it in context, uh, we were living in the Seattle area and moving to uh, the eastern side of the state, um, a five-hour drive away. So we were literally packing a U-Haul with boxes, and the phone rang, and it was my doctor um, from when my oldest daughter was born in 1984, and he just started out the conversation with, you'd better sit down, and so... I'm like, oh, this is not gonna be good. And then um, and then he just said, one of the people who uh gave blood for your blood transfusion because I had a postpartum hemorrhage uh, on delivery, uh, has AIDS now. And so the blood bank called and said you should get tested. And I mean, in that moment, I had been sick for at least a year with weird symptoms that no doctor could figure out. So I just had a gut level feeling in that moment that this was why. So um, I wasn't actually surprised when my test came back positive from that phone call.
0: But was there almost like a sense, because I know in your book you described that you'd been feeling like general malaise and you were feeling unwell for some time. So, was there almost a sense of relief that you finally were going to understand or everybody would understand what you had been experiencing? And then, you know, followed by complete shock, fear, and all that.
1: I feel like that was all happening at the same time. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. I remember just staring at my husband who could hear the phone call, even though, you know, phones used to like be attached to the wall back then. But I just remember staring at him for some kind of assurance, you know, that we're going to be okay. We're not totally out of control. You know, you, you feel like you're just, uh, entering a train that the brakes don't work, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think the, my real moment of being fearful and being scared was when my test came back positive and then they told me that everyone in my family needed to be tested, including my two, four and six year old. That that was maybe my moment of truth more than the phone call.
0: And so it turned out that they all got tested, but you are still the only one who is positive. Yes, that's true. It was
1: um, it's pretty uh, remarkable or miraculous in some ways because two of my kids were born to an HIV positive mom. So they had about a 25 to 30% chance of being infected when they were born. And then even my daughter who I had, before the blood transfusion, I breastfed her. So she had a chance of being infected. And then my husband and I, that was six and a half years. And we didn't ever use precautions. So um, so I felt just very lucky and grateful um, that they weren't infected. And at that point, I mean, I, I it was still sinking in and we were moving. And I'm like, okay, I can deal with this. Like, let's go you know and start just get this on. new job on the other side of the state and all of that so I do think you table things in your mind to just function you know at some point you just can't take it all anymore and you just have to live your day out so that you can you know function at all especially with three little kids that are just depending on you to mm-hmm. take care of them
0: and now yeah. in your book, you tell a story about a Mary, a woman that you met uh, who also had AIDS and Mary succumbed to the disease, uh, you know, and at that moment, that's when you realized what you had to do in order for you to live. Because I feel like at that point, it was just a matter of your survival. I mean, you yeah. know, wasn't a lot known about the disease. And I, and I actually, in fact, think that... You know, nobody ever talks about it anymore. But at that moment, that's when things became clear to you. So tell us a little bit about Mary and how she impacted your trajectory.
1: Well, I met Mary about a year after I was diagnosed. And she was a mom uh, with three kids, uh, had been infected the same way as I had. Most of our our relationship was on the phone uh, after, after I met her And for me, um, Mary's life was just sort of what my life was supposed to end up being. And so, you know, I watched her die basically and watched what that did to her kids and her family. It was depressing, I'm not gonna lie. You know, watching her and thinking, you know, I still had this diagnosis, there wasn't, there was only one medicine at that time, even when Mary died. I think the big thing that I came away with after Mary died was um, I actually had started feeling better and I was working out again and I, I'm a runner. So I started running again. And when I read Mary's obituary, um, it was like her pastor said uh Mary was choosing to live right up to five minutes before she died. And then he said, um, that's real courage, choosing to live. And I just started thinking about that and how um, you can, you know, I have this prognosis and it's not good. And I could either wait to die or I could choose to live. And I think that was, that was kind of the, the thing that, um, not only in this obituary, but just in our conversations, Mary and I—I I think that's what I learned from her.
0: And I find it interesting because in your book, I—I I feel like that's the message that is like profound: is that it doesn't matter what you're faced with; you can always choose. You always have choices, but in your case, you choose you chose to live, you chose to be happy, you chose to overcome it, uh, and you chose to accept. And that was the other interesting thing was that you never blamed anyone for your diagnosis and for this prognosis. That was an incredible an incredible statement. And you chose the settlement. So option A, you had two choices. You had option A and you had option B. And you chose option A, which was just to take a settlement and to just move on. And I found that extremely interesting. And I thought, wow, you're a very, very strong person. So tell us how you came up with that decision and why.
1: Well, not all that decision was about being strong. Um, for the first four years, that I knew I had HIV. We didn't tell hardly anyone. And we lived in a very conservative town and people had a lot of um, uh, misconceptions about HIV. And there was a lot of judgment. My husband actually worked in Christian ministry. And especially from the church, there was uh, from a lot of people, this idea that People with AIDS deserved it. It was like God's judgment. And so I was really afraid that my kids would suffer that stigma and discrimination. So we just didn't really tell very many people. And the people we told were we told very confidentially. Um, When we found out some facts about the blood industry and the knowledge that the blood industry had, Um, about the blood supply, we did feel like, you know, it was only fair that, you know, our kids didn't have to suffer that they wouldn't be able to take dancing lessons or whatever because, you know, all our money was going to this pretty expensive disease. So when we um, presented our case, our lawyers did, they immediately came up with a settlement And I just felt like, I've always felt like, you know, when someone hits your car, you don't ask for a a Maserati or a Ferrari or something. You just want them to fix your car. And I felt like that with this settlement. I just felt like this isn't a huge amount of money, but it's enough. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, to go further than that, we would have to be in court Um, it could be in the paper, this is public record. And I just felt like I have this limited amount of time to live. Why would I spend it in court, right? I Mm -hmm. want to spend it with my family. So it was a pretty easy decision. And it was a little selfish in that I didn't want to be exposed. And I didn't want my kids to have to deal with that whole settlement. So many people who had giant lawsuits, they got money, but oftentimes the person who was sick died before it was ever over,
0: you know, because those things Mm. take years. And in the memoir, you admit it's okay to be sad. Why did you make a point of saying that? And did you experience sadness, depression, and all that, you know, all throughout this journey?
1: Sadness is not fun. You know, it's not fun to have and It's not fun to be around. So I feel like in our culture, and especially in the church culture, people want to fix it as fast as possible. You know, especially in church, it's like, God's going to use this in miraculous ways, you know. And it's like, the truth is, I know I'm a health teacher. I know enough about the stages of grief to know that you can't go around them. You have to go through them. And sadness you know, it, whether it doesn't have to be a terminal, you know, illness, you know, people move and leave all their friends. People have lots of different things that they get sad about. And I, for me, if I don't go through that sadness, it just comes out sideways. And for me, it usually comes out in depression. So, um, yeah it's okay to be sad. In fact, it's appropriate to be sad if something is sad, you know, and there's many, many things in the world that aren't fixable. And it's okay to be sad about that, you know, what whatever's happening in your life. So
0: and, and when it came down to your family, you had three young children and a husband. Now, did your husband and your children, your children were probably too young, but I'm sure there were, your husband and you were both sad. How did this affect, you know, your emotional relationship? Um, I mean, this has been 39 years that I've been
1: affected with HIV. <laughs> so we've had many phases um, of life but in those early years um you have to remember we're faking it out in public and he is a christian youth leader you had to you had to just have buckets of how you reacted and yes it was stressful but on the other hand we only had each other so i think we were Um, playing closely together, actually, more than it split us apart. I think the sadness just came in waves. And what was really important for both of us was to have people we could trust that we could talk to. And uh, whether it was a therapist, or just a good friend, or, um, you know, someone who you could just be honest with. When your job is in Christian ministry you have to be careful who you share your real stuff with because nobody wants a sad youth leader you know and back in the day there was no HIPAA my husband would have lost his job we would have had no insurance so yeah there was no you know they could deny you for a pre-existing condition so good thing he liked his job and you know yeah, so it, it was complicated. There was layers of complication. Um, and when we went public in 1994, it was a big breath of fresh air. Keeping a family secret, no matter what it is, it takes a lot of energy. And it takes, um, yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost as hard as having HIV, just keeping <laughs> a secret
0: Well, I'm glad to see that you have overcome it, and it's 39 years later. When we come back, Julie Lewis and more on her journey with HIV. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Connect with us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 The Region. You're listening to 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Julie told us of the day she received the news that she tested positive or she was positive for HIV and her life changed and has unfolded in a miraculous way. What do you think has been the hardest thing about living with HIV? Um, you know, you've been through so much. You've seen so many people succumb to the disease. What do you think has been the hardest part of the diagnosis?
1: Without a doubt, the hardest part has been losing my friends who have had HIV because I've lost a lot of people. If you were to ask me that right now, like, you know, today, um, because people aren't dying of HIV anymore here um, if they're on medication, I mean, some someone who's has HIV today, newly diagnosed, um, and on medication, they should ha- live a normal lifespan. Not only that, if they're on medication and um, it's working, it's it's not possible to actually transmit the disease. What? So that's all new, and that has changed. What hasn't changed? And what maybe is the hardest thing now is the stigma and discrimination is still alive and well. And I actually think with this current political season we've been in, it's gotten worse, actually, not just for HIV, but for lots of marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the hardest thing now is just to see what
0: could have changed, but hasn't really all that much. We don't hear a lot about HIV, but we know there are still, you know, people getting diagnosed. It's not talked about. And do you think that's mostly because if you're on the medication, you are pretty much living a normal quote unquote life and it's not as transmissible. And do you think that's the reason? I think it's one of the reasons for sure. I do think we have a
1: 15 minute of attention span in our culture and you know AIDS has had its big day back in the 90s it's like it's hard to get funding for for it it's hard to um, get the messaging out to young people because yeah people are getting infected who shouldn't be getting infected um, because you know the The goal is to get because we don't have a vaccine is to get everyone on medicine because then the disease could actually go away. I think that the um, health educators are still working really hard, but you know, funding for so many medical things has gone down, and it's it's just kind of harder. Plus, you know, we live in a really different culture than than the olden days. (laughs) It's like you know, better come up with a good. If, you know, few second TikTok about why you should be aware of HIV. <laughs> you know, the way people get messages today just isn't the same. So, true. it's a new year,
0: new era. And now, I loved the part of your book where you started to talk about, you know, after the diagnosis, after battling the sadness and the depression, you created. Third the 3030 project. I love it. I think it's amazing that you turned something that happened in your life that was, you know, probably traumatizing, life-changing, and you turned it into something where you could be of service and of help. So let's talk about the 3030 project, how it started and where it's at, and where you intend it to be.
1: Well, the 3030 project um kind of brought a lot of things together. Uh, that were already happening. So I had been on a speaker's bureau for uh, 10 years before we moved back to Seattle uh, doing education about HIV. Um, And then when we got to Seattle, I went to work for a nonprofit that actually builds infrastructure around the world uh, in um, poor communities for other organizations. They build medical uh, education and community buildings. So my job there was to vet all the applications um, and recommend different organizations to build for. Um, Then at the same time, um, my son, who's a music producer, um, had a lot of success with um, his group, McLemore and Ryan Lewis. Um, And so, and this is 2014, it was my 30-year anniversary of being HIV positive. So my kids actually were the ones who were like, it's 30 years, we need to celebrate. And I was like, that feels really awkward because, you know, a lot of my friends died. So it feels weird to celebrate. But if we can figure out a project that's like, you know, a pay it forward kind of thing that honors their lives, then I'd be up for that. And so uh, my big idea was to build one healthcare facility, <laughs> and obviously we don't build them. Uh, Construction for Change, the organization I worked for, did. But I said, "Why doesn't our family raise enough money to build a healthcare facility somewhere in the world that lacks healthcare access in honor of our friends that died?" And then Ryan, my son, uh, looked at me and goes, "Well, Mom, you've lived 30 years. We can't just build one. We need to build 30." <laughs> just wow. like. Uh, Ryan, 30 is so many more than one, right? Mm-hmm. But somehow he talked me into this. And so we launched a 33 project in 2014 with the Indiegogo campaign and a compelling video. And um, yeah, we were lucky to have a lot of media attention because Ryan and Ben uh, Hagerty had just won a bunch of Grammys. And um, so we, we were on national talk shows and in the first little while we funded five healthcare facilities to build. Um, and then everyone went back to work to their day jobs and all of a sudden I woke up one day, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's just me left with this humongous goal. And so, um, I'm a public speaker. So I kept talking about how. Health- Healthcare um, facilities could create healthcare access, uh, but it was slow going. It wasn't until we had some buildings built and we actually uh, hired a few people to be my team, women, and um, we started to measure uh, the actual uh people who were walking into our building, how many tests they were doing, how many babies were being born. The measurement and evaluation was really our key to convincing people that yes, healthcare spaces is creating healthcare access. So the last two years of fundraising, um, we completed our fundraising in five years. Uh, The last two years went way faster than the first three because we actually had hard data. Right. Um, so anyway, we finished our funding in 2019, thank goodness, because COVID hit and then events were almost impossible to do. And despite a couple of COVID delays, we're uh, we're just we're building our last building right now. So uh the 3030 project's almost complete. Wow. But in in the um spirit of the 3030 project, um, all the proceeds of our book are going to healthcare access and equity. So we're giving it to organizations doing that. Um, some of which will go to construction for change to continue building medical buildings.
0: That That's an incredible story. And it's amazing that you accomplish this amazing goal in five years, really. And, you've come such a long way. So your book, it's called Still Positive. So when I first got the book, I interpreted it in so many different ways. Uh, You are still positive for HIV, but you are still positive as a person and as, you know, somebody who has the will to live. Is there anything that you would say to your younger self that you know now about your diagnosis?
1: Um, well, I think I would just say to, um, to take one day at a time to have faith that, um, that you, you never know the future. I mean, doctors can tell you whatever they want. You can, you know, Maybe I, maybe I would have died. I mean, but it's like the quality of your life is what's important. Waking up and getting the most out of every day is what's important. And miracles still happen. Like, I just feel like, I think when I was diagnosed, I was a person of faith and I believed in miracles for other people, but I didn't actually believe in them for myself. And I think part of... Um, having HIV was just for me to, to um, understand uh, my own value, not just to the world, but to God and to, um, you know, the universe. It's like, we're all unique and special. And there's 8 billion people in the world. Now I kind of like, I try to wrap my head around that. Right. And I feel like God created us all unique. And um, I think what, HIV has taught me the most is just to value people's differences, not just. I think we constantly put ourselves around people who are just like us. And what HIV has done for me is throw me out in the world, like way out. And I think it's just made me um, not a bigger person at all, but just a more understanding and compassionate person, but also a person who appreciates differences, maybe more than similarities. So, Yeah, that's, that's what I tell my youngest.
0: I think that's an absolutely beautiful message. And I really did enjoy your book. It's called Still Positive. Now, if listeners want to learn more about you, purchase the book or read up on and contribute to the 3030 project, how can they do that?
1: Um, Well, uh, we have a website. Jenny Koenig's my co-author. That's why I always say we, she's like one of my best friends. Um, it's stillpositive.com is where you can find all our information. If you want to just follow us kind of daily, we're at still positive book on Instagram. Um, Yeah. And if you, if you want to do a deep dive into the 33 project, it it has its own website. It's just 3030project.org. So,
0: yeah, well, I'll be definitely checking that out. I cannot thank you enough for joining me. It was a pleasure to have you on. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, claudiamacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at Healthy Planet Canada or go online to find a location nearest you.